Hello. Welcome and thank you for joining us and listening to our podcast, The God Beyond the Bible. Our podcast is released weekly each Friday. The content of each episode is based on the questions and curiosities we all have about God and the Bible. Many of our topics are considered taboo in the minds of the mainstream church. You will find our discussions to be, I think, refreshing and often far from traditional. But we don't just skirt around these complex issues, but confront them head on, and not in the way you're used to hearing them discussed on typical Christian talk shows. I'm Alan Rowland, creator and host of The God Beyond the Bible. As of the launch of this podcast, I've been a pastor for more than 35 years. My co-host is my daughter, Trayson, and our engineer, co-producer, is my daughter, Tabitha. Our mission is to encourage our audience, along with us, to open our minds to the reality that God is simply too big to be fully explored or experienced by the reading and studying of a single ancient work. In short, the Bible's not the sum of God, and to think this is to limit what He has done, is doing, and what He will do in our future. So with introductions made, thank you for listening, and let's dive into the topic of the day. And welcome, Seekers, to episode number 51 of the podcast, God Beyond the Bible, the podcast made by Seekers and for Seekers. We hope the release of this episode on or around December the 20th finds you in good health, spiritually, mentally, emotionally, and physical. How about shout-outs? Yeah, our shout-outs today are going to be to our listeners in China. Right. We have listeners in China now. We do. That's All right. Awesome. How long has that been going on? Just uh... um, about the last month, they've really started popping up. Okay. And what's the girl that usually gives us feedback on what our sound is? Lucy in Florida. Okay, Lucy. Yeah. Uh, hopefully, we're getting better. Uh, it sounded like in the last episode, I might have been a little lower than everybody else. So we've kicked. We've hopefully made that a little. Hopefully, yeah, improved so that a little bit. Know. So we're just thanks. Thanks for your feedback. Hey. A constructive criticism yeah, and a good spirit always welcome. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Well, in our last episode, it was episode number 50. We dedicated it to a brief study on the topic of Christmas. Um, we discovered that the celebration of the birth of Jesus got its official start around the 4th century and went through a lot of transition to become the event celebrated around the world today. And, you know, episode 49 really seemed to be a well-received topic. I think it was. Mm -hmm. It was on stress, and especially the increased stress we find ourselves under this time of year. It might be a good idea to revisit that episode when all the holiday bustle winds down and make a list of things that you plan to do differently next year to lower that stress level. In our humble opinion, the best counsel from that episode is to learn to say no. Do you think we might just be forgetful in a year we forget the things that really stressed us out until it happens again? Oh, yeah. I do. Do you think do it might be, thing. you know, you, you said there, you, you know, that we might we might uh, determine the things this year. And this would be a good time, wouldn't it, to start determining what's yes. really putting mm-hmm. the stress on us and say, all right, next year I'm writing this down. I'm doing this differently. Yeah. Well, we really. Of course, you probably humans. won't forget it. You probably won't forget, though. But right. I mean, you you just won't act on it. Yes. <laughs> All right. Is it my turn? Mm-hmm. I got care. This episode, we've decided to take one more look at Christmas and the way we celebrate it, but this time a little more lighthearted approach. We thought it'd be fun to explore where some of our many customs and traditions originated. This episode might even give you a few things to talk about on that big day around the dinner table. When you find a need to steer the topic of conversation in a new direction, I guess you could call, maybe you could call this episode some Christmas trivia. Even though it's not really trivial, we actually do those things. Yeah. Okay. So we're going to start off. I'm going to give you a little bit of background on 
where we got the idea of Christmas trees. Well, and Christmas trees are big when that's the first thing that comes to our mind, isn't yes. it? Let's let's hear it. Okay, so trees, plants, and trees that stay green all year. Can I guess? Yeah, guess. Can I get? Did Martin Luther have anything to do with this? He did. With okay, part okay. of it. All right, all right. I yeah. just wanted to throw that in. But long before Christianity, the advent of Christianity, plants and trees that stayed green all year have always had a special meaning for people in winter. Because, you know, we talked about this last week, I think, on the Christmas episode mm-hmm. about the winter solstice and how they had right, all of that. Right, right, right. So they used the green trees, the fir trees. It reminds them of spring, reminds them, you know. They're still life. That they're still life. Everything's not dead. So while it was originally used as a sign of the spring to come, Christians, of course, when we started celebrating Christmas and really making it more of our holiday, it was adopted as a sign of everlasting life with God. Germany actually is actually credited with starting the Christmas tree tradition as we now know it. Um, It started in the 16th century. Um, when devout Christians brought Christmas, the decorated trees, into their home. There are actually three legends as to why this may have started. You talked about one last week. Martin Luther was walking. That Mm -hmm. was one. Um, Did I talk about that last week? Someone did. It wasn't me, because right, I don't couple, know. It was a couple Maybe of weeks. Maybe I dreamed it. Was, it. No, it was during Traditions, when we talked about Minnesota Traditions. I just traditions. remember. Okay, that right. is definitely one. All right. Um, another one is that St. Boniface of Crediton traveled to Germany to preach to the pagan German tribes and convert them. And he is said to have come across a group of pagans about to sacrifice a young boy who was worshiping an oak tree. And in anger, he chopped down the oak tree, and to his amazement, a young fir tree sprang up from the roots of it. That's absolutely possible. So (laughs) he took this as a sign of the Christian faith, and his followers decorated the tree with candles. That one was kind of weird. It was a little weird. Here's the other one that I thought was interesting. Once on a cold Christmas Eve night, a forester and his family were in their cottage gathered around the fire to keep warm. Suddenly, there was a knock on the door. When the forester opened the door, he found a poor little boy standing on the doorstep, lost and alone. The forester welcomed him into his home, and the family fed and washed him and put him to bed in the youngest son's own bed, who ended up having to share with his older brother that night. The next morning, on Christmas Day, the family were woken up by a choir of angels, and the poor little boy had turned, in, had turned into Jesus, the Christ child. The Christ child went into the front garden of the cottage and broke off a branch of a fir tree and gave it to the family as a present to say thank you for looking after him. Oh, wow. So ever since, yeah. people have remembered that by bringing a Christmas tree in. Um, all of those originated from Germany, though. Well, Martin so. Luther. <clears throat> See, Martin right. Luther found... hit the German descent there. He, matter of fact, he was translating the Bible into German when right. he had the epiphany. Mm-hmm. From the book of Galatians. Go and ahead. as, as far Tristan, as I'm the, sorry. oh, were you going to say something? No, go ahead. As far as the decorations, you know, it just kind of evolved. It started out with mostly edible things, pine cones, right. that sort of and thing. And I've got a little on that when it comes to my part, but uh, Martin Luther was actually said to have put lit candles, mm-hmm. which doesn't really sound like. <laughs> actually, I've read things that said that was actually a very common and dangerous thing that was Practice. done yes. right yeah because it wasn't until i think they said thomas edison's assistant actually came up with the idea of wired electric 
bulbs. Christmas lights. I grew up in the I grew up in the era when I grew up in the era when they had that big old twisted wire on them and big old bulbs, and those suckers got hot. They would burn you if you even got close to them. They'd burn you. That's the era I grew up. One of my friends, her mom still puts those on her house every year. (laughs) And just a couple. Pay up your insurance. Yeah, and you can't plug more than two strands together. Oh no, it'll knock a few. It'll blow a few breaker. Did you guys know that Christmas trees are actually grown in all fifty states? Oh, and let me tell you something. They are Hawaii and Alaska. They are. But I read this year the reason the prices have and said the prices are predicting the prices are going to continue to go up in the next five years because fewer and fewer people are growing them and the demand is great and we're not meeting the demand. And they said in five years, hey, here's a little tip out here. You didn't think you'd get a financial tip. Buy your Christmas tree now. <laughs> there you go. No, no, listen. In five years, they they predict that the price of a Christmas tree will double. Oh, a man. live tree will double. I'm gonna have to plant one. Okay, Tracy, I think there you got you go. mistletoe and holly. Yeah, and I actually had to divide these into two separate. So mistletoe actually started with the Druids in about 300 BC, mm-hmm. and they would hang mistletoe in their house because they believed because it was green and it was alive during the winter, that it was magical and would ward off evil spirits. And then in Norse, myth- Norse mythology, there you go. they saw it as being a sign of love and friendship. Oh. And it really wasn't until the English came along that it began to be a tradition of kissing under it. Mm-hmm. But the original tradition was you would pick a berry and share a kiss, but once the berries were gone... No more kisses. Okay. Well, that, that would pretty well predict when the kids were going to be born the next year. That, <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, that's terrible. No. And I also read that they also, it was considered to be uh, fertility. A yes. symbol of fertility that actually they had put it in their cow stalls originally. And they mm-hmm. thought that increased the production of, of calves. And then so they thought, well, we'll move it in the house. And so they started putting it in the houses of newlyweds. Right. In the door. I don't know. That's hmm. just something I read about that. And the other one is holly and ivy. So I'm going to do both halves of this, the secular and the Christian okay. tradition. Secularly, the tradition says that it was bad luck to bring holly or ivy into the house before the eve of the winter solstice. Um, holly was considered to be a male plant and ivy was considered to be a female plant. So whichever was They're brought... They're both girl names. <laughs> Anyway, go ahead. Whichever was brought into the house first would tell who was going to, which spouse would rule the house for the next year. Oh, how cool is that? And and Christians believe that Holly represented chest, I can't say that word, chastity. Uh-huh. Chastity. And that Ivy represents places that God has actually walked. So they uh. go over to Germany Mm-hmm. And German Christians began the tradition that holly leaves with their prickly edges represent the crown of thorns and that the berries represent the shed blood of Christ. Okay. Huh. Well, so, but it's still been adopted kindly into. It has. It's yeah. morphed the, from its original. Okay. So let's talk about the Christmas wreath, which is kindly in the same, in mm-hmm. the same circles. There's no way to know exactly when or where the wreath got its birth. Almost every culture has some ceremony or observance that involves some type of wreath. One thing is for sure, as most of the symbols associated with the church and Christianity are, it is not original with Christmas or Christianity. 
Wreaths appear in a lot of places, symbolizing a lot of different things. If you've ever seen a picture or bust of many of the kings and emperors of old, you might notice a horseshoe-shaped group of leaves around their head. This is known as a laurel wreath, so named because it was made from the leaves of the laurel plant. These wreaths worn on the head depicted eminence and power. The laurel wreath was also awarded to the victors in the early Olympic Games. Have you ever seen that wreath? Mm -hmm. Yes. That's what that is. There is actually a type of wreath on the back of the dollar bill. Did you know that? Mm -hmm. It is hovers above the eagle's head, and it encircles 13 stars, and there's lots of theories about what that even right, means. Right, right. Other traditional wreaths included the harvest wreath, which would often be made of a mixture of wheat straw and other crops that would be displayed as a gesture of thankfulness for the harvest. And the woven circle represented the hopes of successful harvest continuing year after year, thus the wreath. Funeral wreaths were originally made of evergreen leaves and branches and they represented eternal life, as Tabitha said a while right. ago. In season, they would be made of arrangements of certain flowers, representing new life. One particular story of Catholic origin is of St. Lucy, and I found this interesting, who is said to have worn a wreath on her head, lit with candles, and this enabled her to carry food to the banished Christians who were hiding in the catacombs for fear of persecution from the church leaders. Now, our modern wreaths, though most often made of plastic in place of natural leaves and branches, is representative of new life and the eternal life given to us by God through Christ. And, of course, that leads us to Tabitha, which is going to tell us about Santa Claus. Old, old Santa Claus. Old Saint Nick, Saint Nicholas. What is his real name? St. Nicholas. Oh, it's St. Nicholas. Okay. Yeah. Also, what is he? Also, Chris Kringle. Chris Kringle. Yeah, yeah that's Chris another Kringle. one. Yeah. Well, there was a monk named St. Nicholas, and it's believed he was born sometime around 280 AD in village I can't pronounce, but it's near modern-day Turkey. Admired for his giving and kindness, St. Nicholas became the subject of many legends, and it's said that he gave away all of his inherited wealth and traveled the countryside helping the poor and sick. Um, over the course of many years, his popularity spread, and he became known as the protector of children and sailors. And his feast day is actually celebrated on the anniversary of his death, which is December 6th. And it was traditionally considered a lucky day to make large purchases or get married. But that's where originally. Oh, I never, never heard that. Um, as far as where he kind of he starts evolving into what we have now. In December of 1773 and 1774, a New York newspaper reported that groups of Dutch families had gathered to honor the death of St. Nicholas. So it is said that this is how he kind of made his entrance into America. The name Santa Claus has evolved from his Dutch nickname, which was Sinterklaas. Oh, I have read that, yes. Which is a shortened form of Saint, of Saint Nicholas. Um, John Pintard distributed woodcuts of St. Nicholas at the New York Historical Society's annual meeting. And the background of these woodcuttings contained what we consider now familiar Santa images like stockings filled with fruit and toys. Oh, wow. Um, hanging over a fireplace. And Washington Irving helped to popula popularize uh, the Santa yes. Claus story when he referred to St. Nicholas as the patron saint of New York in his book, um, which was the history of New York. And what was the name of that book? Something to the color... Under the Jeffrey Crayon. Crayon. Jeffrey Crayon. Yeah. yeah, that's it. Yeah. Um, this is what was so funny. As the tales were passed around and his and the popularity of St. Nick started to increase, 
He was described as everything from a rascal with a blue three-cornered hat, a red waistcoat, and yellow stockings, to a man who wore a broad-brimmed hat and a huge pair of Flemish trunk hose. Do you know what those are? Flemish, I had to Google what it. Now, what is it? Flemish trunk hose. Uh-huh. Trunk hose is going to be pants. Do you remember if you look at pictures from a long, long time ago, they had like the balloon shorts with the tight stockings? Yes. Yeah. That's what trunk okay. hoses are. Okay, in 1822, an Bloomers. Episcopal... Yeah, basically. Bloomers. Yeah, I was to think of that. Go ahead. In 1822, there was an Episcopal minister named Clement Clark Moore, and he wrote a long Christmas poem for his three daughters, which was entitled, An Account of a Visit from St. Nicholas, or as we know it... The Night Before Christmas. Was the Night Before that's Christmas. What I thought that might have been. His poem is what is considered to be largely responsible for our image of Santa as a wow. jolly old elf with a portly figure. And he had the ability to ascend a chimney with a nod of his head. And Thomas Nast, who was a political cartoonist, was the one who gave us the image of Santa as this heavy, rotund, cheerful man with a full white beard, a bright red suit trimmed with white fur, holding a sack laden with toys for lucky children. Wow. And then, of course, I think it was... And that political, you didn't know when that cartoonist... What, I did, what, and what I couldn't years, find a year. But it, that probably sometime in the 1900s or 1800s, 1900s, but it was. 1900s. I know in 1841, there was a Philadelphia store that had a life-size, had a real Santa, was the first one to have a real Santa. Really? And, wow. of course, they did that to attract kids. parents and kids, kids to come the in. Store. So Mace, you can Macy's. imagine with that, it didn't take long for other stores to jump yeah. on board. Well, my question is, Tracen, <laughs> how did the reindeer and the elves come into this whole thing then? If he's St. Nicholas and he's the saint, of the patron saint of generosity and mm-hmm. elevating kids, then how did those reindeer and elves get in there? All right. Well, first of all, I have to tell you my random fact of the day that I found out. We all know that reindeer actually are real animals yeah, and they live uh-huh. in very cold climates but like they don't Siberia. Fl- but they don't fly, do they? They don't. But did you know that their noses actually turn bright red? I did not know that. No. They do because they have a lot of capillaries in their nose. So just like when we go outside and cold? our nose turns red, when they get oh. cold, their nose is Rudolph? Red. Okay. <laughs> so it's actually really goes back to Scandinavia. Because the Scandinavians still use reindeer to pull sleighs. Reindeer are typically tame, and they're very, very strong. Easily domesticated, Mm -hmm. huh? And they're very, very strong, and they pull their sleighs. But it wasn't until 1821 when William Gilly wrote a booklet where Santa and reindeer were first mentioned together. The line said, Old Santa Claus, with much delight, his reindeer drives this foggy night. Gilly's mom lived in an Arctic region, so she was really familiar with reindeer and sleighs. Uh, that, and wouldn't that, have been, that wouldn't have been an unusual neat. way of transportation at yeah. all, would it? Okay. So, in 1823, Clement Clark uh-huh. anonymously published his poem about an elf-sized Santa. And I never caught that before, uh-huh. that Santa was the size of an elf. Oh, in the point? In that point, it was not before Christmas? Uh-huh. He's an elf. A He's a jolly old elf. And a miniature sleigh and eight tiny oh, reindeer. Oh. How neat. I've learned something. Let's stop right now. Because yeah. <laughs> for everything I learn, I forget two things I already <laughs> knew. So, <laughs> elves were really common in folklore. 
there were good elves who were playful and helpful, and then Mm -hmm. there were bad elves who were mean and would play tricks on you. But in the mid-1800s, the Scandinavians started to come out with these stories with elves that were helpers to Santa Claus, and some people believe it was because of Clark's poem that these other stories started to pop up. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. He was a jolly old elf. I, the, you never, that's why it was so easy for him to go down the chimney. Wow. Because he was a little elf. How neat. Well, does that sum up? That sums up Wow, elves that was, that was informative <clears throat> also. Okay. Looks like I've drawn eggnog and cider. Ick to both of them. I don't like Ick. either one. Really? <laughs> I one like eggnog to... as long as it's. Not got alcohol Really in spiked it. real hard? Yeah. Oh, you say, no, you don't want you it don't spiked? You don't want it spiked? You I don't want... want it spiked. Well, then why would you That's even drink I'm it? That's what I'm thinking. <laughs> one, one has to wonder, who first thought that a mixture of raw eggs, whole milk, and spice topped off with a spike of stout liquor would be a good drink? Not me. Nope. Uh, well, you're, you're, tell you what, you're scraping the bottom for mixers, aren't uh-huh. you, when you go to that? There is, of course, debate on where this drink we call eggnog got its start. Even the name eggnog has been a topic for debate. Most agree that the drink we know as eggnog got its start from a hot, milky, ale-like drink that the Brits called posset. I've heard them talk about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, pine of posset. But I'm thinking, whoa. History tells us that 13th century monks were known to drink a posset with eggs and figs. Before the days of refrigeration, milk, eggs, and sherry were foods of the wealthy. I can these, see that. These mm-hmm. were the ingredients of the eggnog used in toasts to prosperity and health. They're back to that class thing right, over Christmas. Right. See, back to that class division. Uh, eggnog became tied to the holidays when it jumped the pond to the 18th century American colonies where most farms were, what, plentiful with milk and eggs mm-hmm. and adding whatever spices. Now, spices were the high price thing in that day. Right, yes. But adding whatever spices were available and spiking it with the hard-to-drink, <laughs> straight, cheap rum that was abundant in the early colonies. <laughs> now, this was true also of cider. Cider was a way of preserving the nutrition of apples over a long period. You add a little spice to the cider, and it masks the harsh taste of the cheap rum. I, saw, I have also discovered that the fermented cider made a fairly good intoxicating drink of its own. I didn't discover it. I discovered it in research. If you think about it, I don't know if I've ever drank hard cider. You've seen Andy Griffith. Barney always Barney got drunk on the hard cider. That's right. (laughs) Most wines are made from fermented fruit, so I can see how apple would ferment. Now, as for the name eggnog, which is known as rompope in Mexico and coquito in Puerto Rico, which uses coconut milk, it is believed that the name may have come from the wooden cup called a noggin, or maybe from the strong beer known as grog. We're not really sure. And mm. Tabitha, you're going to tell us about that ever plentiful, often re-gifted mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, fruitcake. Let's hear it. Yeah. Well, just to start out, Johnny Carson, you remember his big joke that he made on his late night show? He said the worst gift is a fruitcake. There's only one fruitcake in the entire world and people keep sending it to each other. Oh, well, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. Right. I like that. <laughs> it sounds like Johnny Carson. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Fruitcake actually dates back to a food that was enjoyed by the ancient Romans called satura, which was a mix of barley, pomegranate seeds, nuts, and raisins that were held together with honey, which oh. sounds awful to me. Right. <laughs> Some speculate that this dish was actually invented as a way to preserve fruit. 
Because fruitcake, I mean, it's actually edible for up to 25 years after it's made. <laughs> I think I got one last year. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so according to the I Smithsonian like Magazine, fruitcake gained popularity in the 18th and 19th century when its ingredients were expensive and harder to come by, which actually made it a rare I, delicacy. I could see that. You know, nuts yeah. and fruit were yeah, delicacies. Yeah. You know, we nuts take that and for fruit are still quite expensive. Well, not, we but we take them for granted today, yes. their accessibility. Right. Now our American tradition of eating it around the holidays actually stemmed from the British tradition when the dessert was sometimes called Christmas cake or plum cake. That was basically well, I've heard the British a call it plum cake. cake. Yeah. Oh really? I didn't that know that. That was a fruit cake. But when fruitcake started being mass produced, that's kind of when it kind of lost a lot of its popularity. You reckon? People didn't. Sometimes you know, things aren't the same. That's like a peanut butter sandwich. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they were. I can remember when I've never liked fruitcake, but you know, some I'm, people. I'm a little weird, and I don't like a bunch of it. <clears throat> right. I like a little. I'm telling that to Tracy because she's. So asked me Surprise. a while ago before we started, said, now, Dad, you did tell me you like fruitcake, right? But then I heard the conversation get, while I was out of the room. Yeah. Asked you're going to get a homemade one. So it's not going to come from a well, big. Well, that is, that is so true. So that'll be, yeah. maybe it'll okay. be good. I, was, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, did that's you okay. That was it. That was cake? all I had. And, Trayson, how about this total thing of exchanging gifts that has gotten really <laughs> crazy? So I was really shocked with this one because when I started doing research, I found out that Exchanging gifts is actually one of the few traditions we have that started as a Christian tradition. Oh, it really did. It did. Now I'm counting. And it was, in fact, in remembrance of the gifts that were given by the Magi. Well, I really didn't figure that out. I didn't figure it would. Did it come through the Catholic Church, though, the day it started? It did. I figured it did. However, it was hijacked <laughs> for about 400 years, um, particularly during the Dark Ages. And. It was considered a tradition to give a gift to your ruler. And the ruler said it was because the Magi were giving a gift to their king. Oh, so, so then it got, a, it got hijacked. <laughs> so basically today you just get, I hesitate to say it, President Trump. A, yeah, you would get him something because he's the ruler. Okay. But gifts back then would be exchanged between December 6th and January 5th. And actually, December 6th was St. Nicholas's Day. Right. Okay, the date so, of his death. wow, it's funny how all this just keeps circling but around. once again, in 1823, people started exchanging gifts on Christmas Eve after Clement Clark's book, or story, came <laughs> out. the night before Christmas. Uh-huh. Wow. And in 1843, when A Christmas Carol was released, it all but set the tradition in stone. Wow, we isn't it amazing how some of these secular cultural works have really shaped yeah, our Christmas? Yeah. And I'm not saying it in a bad way, guys. It's just interesting to know where I things went, come from. I went through a thing that in my life, and it's, it's probably a lot of Christians do. I went through a thing. Well, it's all just a bunch of pagan. I started studying. This is all pagan. Ed Wright. Every, this is a pagan. Well, I'm not gonna. And mm-hmm. and and you know, you can just get crazy with that stuff. You, you know, just enjoy what's good. The Bible. I think it was James that said, "All good things come down from above, from the Father of Lights, mm-hmm. from whom there is no variable, no shadow of turning." And well, I have to go back said to that. Every Everything that you do, do it as though you do it into the That's Lord. That's it. That's right. it. No matter what it was. And he ate meat that was offered to idols, got in trouble for it. 
Which is why he wrote those. And he, some he, of my favorite verses in the Bible. He's defending his actions. Yes. As Edie Mead. Okay, is it me? It's it you. Candy Canes. And I'm glad I drew this one. I was certain that like mo- almost every one of our Christian symbols and customs, except for giving gifts, Tracen, I would find that the candy cane was adopted from some other culture and religion and the meaning adapted into Christianity. I was surprised to discover that the candy cane is possibly the only single symbol and custom we have today that is purely of Christian origin. Once again, we owe the origin of the Christmas symbol, this Christmas symbol, to our Catholic friends. Every historical record I could find, both secular and religious, agrees that the Christmas treat and tradition we enjoy today began in 1670 when the choir master at the Cologne Cathedral in Germany would pass out white sugar sticks to all his to his all-boy choir. When the church board complained, I can't imagine that. (laughs) When the church board complained that sweets were not appropriate at such a solemn place as a church, the choir master bent the candy sticks into a hook resembling a shepherd's staff, and this religious implication quieted the board's concerns. (laughs) Oh, my. The candy cane made its debut in America around 1847 in Wooster, Ohio, when August M. A German-Swedish immigrant decorated his small spruce tree with paper ornaments and candy canes. There are many legends and debates over the red stripe and exactly what it represents. The most popular is that the three stripes were, you know, the Father, the Son, the Holy Mm -hmm. Spirit, and the red was the blood of Jesus. Whatever the origin, marketers found the color and peppermint flavor added to the appeal of the candy. Now listen to this. Today, 1.6 billion with a B... Candy canes are produced annually in America. Candy canes are the number one selling non-chocolate candy during the month of December. With 90%, this will be a shocker, with 90% of the annual sales falling between Thanksgiving and Christmas. When else can you get them? (laughs) With the second... I'm worried about off the that Christmas, other 10%. Off the, off the Christmas tree from last year. With the <laughs> second week in December being the peak sales week, which is attributed to that week being the single week when most people put up their tree and they decorate for Christmas. Duh. But, oh. I mean, I found that really interesting, yeah. and I found it informative. And I think Tabitha's going to tell us about carols and caroling. Yeah. Now, you guys had two that actually came from Christian, you know, origins. <clears throat> Please forgive me for clearing my throat. That's all I've right. had a cough for That's four right. weeks. We've all around here, we've been okay. fighting this whole thing again. As with so many of our Christian t- traditions, carols and caroling actually started thousands of years ago in Europe, but they were actually pagan songs sung at the winter solstice celebrations as people danced around their stone And they danced. It was associated. Caroling got its name from dancing. Right. The word carol actually actually means dance or a song of praise and joy. Am I good Good job. (laughs) He read that in a book once. Yeah. Early Christians took over the pagan solstice celebration for Christmas, and they gave people Christian songs to sing instead. (laughs) In 129, a Roman bishop said that a song called Angel's Hymn should be sung at a Christmas service in Rome. There were many more written, but no one really cared much about them because most of them were in Latin, and normal people couldn't even understand what they were saying. (laughs) It wasn't until St. Francis of Assisi in 1223 started his nativity plays in Italy that carols finally made a comeback. The people in the plays, they sang songs or canticles that told the story during the plays. Some of the choruses were in Latin, but most of the song was in a language that 
whatever the people watching it, you know, the play, they could understand. The earliest carol like this was written in 1410, but only a small fragment still exists. But it was supposedly about Mary and Joseph and the different people they met in Bethlehem. Oh, I bet it was cool. Most carols from this period were kind of loosely about you know, the birth of Jesus or something, but most of them were nowhere near. Okay. What we consider a carol today. And before carol singing in public was popular, there were sometimes official carol singers called waits and they were called waits because they only sang on Christmas Eve, which was also sometimes referred to as watch night or wait night in observance of the shepherds watching their sheep when the angels appeared well, to them. I'm, cur- no I'm curious if they were a paid group of people like the paid mourners of the Jewish town. Yes. I don't know. They oh, were they paid. Were. They yes. were. So one ninety years all you had. Now that's the job. Year. That's the job I'm looking yeah. for. That's the job I, I missed my time. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So, and I think Tracy, cards. And we and maybe you're going to talk about the colors red and gray. Just what hammer much of that? I believe that Christmas cards might have been invented by you in a former life. <laughs> by dad. By me? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So, let's let's hear why. In 1843, it cost about four cents to mail a letter in London. Mm-hmm. So letters, as you guys know, were really common around that. I think I know where this is time. going. Go ahead. <laughs> And they were really common at the end of the year. Four cents. Four cents to mail a letter. Mm -hmm. Okay. You would send out a letter at the end of the year to let everyone know how your family Mm -hmm. had fared that year. Births, deaths, if you were expecting. All of those things would be included in this family letter to everybody that you knew. So then Sir Henry Cole came on the scene. And he didn't want to send out Christmas letters. He didn't have time to write them. And he didn't want to spend four (laughs) cents to mail them. Oh, now I see the part of why I may have invented that. Okay, go ahead. (laughs) So he got an idea. He knew that it would be considered impolite if he did not send out Mm -hmm. some kind of greeting. Some kind of a greeting. So he found out that the post office only charged one cent for a single page greeting. (laughs) So he hired an artist and had a thousand cards designed. And he sent those out for Christmas for a penny apiece. And cars, that's, I was gonna say, that's ten dollars. That still be ten dollars. Yeah, go ahead. The, well, imagine over forty forty dollars. Yeah, okay. So the cards actually caused a scandal within themselves because they depicted a family that was sitting around in a Christmas setting with Christian symbols, drinking wine. Oh no! Uh oh, and the Methodist because that was during that was getting close to the prohibition mm-hmm. uh-huh. re, re, temperance thing. I can see. So where, yeah. it caused a big problem, but. They were actually instantaneously popular when people found out that they could send these cute little and didn't have yeah, to write that artwork cards and just sign their name to them and mail them for a penny. How neat! Wow, that is super cool. So then we have the colors red and green, and of course we've talked about green. The Romans believed that, and other early societies mm-hmm. believed that evergreens were magical and a symbol of life, and the Romans would take evergreen limbs and bend them into wreaths to bring good luck into their homes right which is where christians adopted the tradition from and they added that green symbolized eternal life in christ right. and it grew into ivy and holly and other and so the all re- greens the red so that's was the berry where, kind of the berries and yeah. what have you and red. red is strictly a christian tradition and it symbolizes oh, gotcha. not only christ's death but the unconditional love that he showed. Oh, okay. Well, with that little bit of Christmas trivia, we'll regroup and we'll t- return with the last part. This is only a two-part mm-hmm. uh, episode. 
of Christmas trivia on God Beyond the Bible. Welcome back, Seekers, to episode number 51 of God Beyond the Bible. This is only a two-part episode, so this is our final part here on Christmas Trivia. Yeah, since we went about 30 minutes that first one, but <laughs> we'll try to be a little fast. But guys, this is good stuff. Oh, yeah. And it's we hope good. you had as much fun it's as good we to, did. It, Absolutely, might, yeah. it might prevent a political discussion. There you go. At, yes. the, at the Christmas table, if you just remember <laughs> some of it. Write some of this down. Okay. So if y'all remember, last week, we discovered how two fictional literary works had a profound impact on how Christmas was celebrated and even changed the whole direction and tenor of the celebration, especially in America. And those works were those of Washington Irving and Charles Dickens, which both taught us that the true spirit of Christmas should be one where we consider the plight of our fellow man and children were elevated to the status of contributing members to the family. And I think this week we can even add Clement Clark. Yes, um, yeah. the night before yeah. Christmas. Yes. What a great. And uh, I've got to say, I, I, I'm now, it's going to be after the first of the year, but I am now compelled to read Washington Irving's I am as little well. series. I, I, I wasn't even familiar with it. Okay. In this segment. We'd like to do a little trivia covering the past 75 or so years, namely the role that television has played on the Christmas celebration. Now, it's probably going to be less than 75 years, but I'm just saying television. Uh, l- let's talk about the five most popular animated Christmas specials that have aired every year since their first introduction. Now, think about this. Every year since their first introduction and have been watched and loved for more than four generations. Okay, so in no particular order, Drumble. they are. <laughs> okay, the first one, How the Grinch Stole Christmas, Little Drummer Boy, Charlie Brown Christmas. One of my favorites. Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, and Frosty the Snowman. So let's start with a trivia question. All right. Question number one. Name two things all five of these animated specials had in common. Dun, 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 and I had no idea. <laughs> I didn't know so either. I'm okay. going to let dad answer. Yeah. Okay. The first thing they had in common, they were all a product of a single studio that is known as Rankin Bass Productions. And the second thing they have in common, all five of these Christmas animated Christmas specials aired on TV in the 1960s. Huh. I, I had no idea about that because I'm, yeah. Okay, so of these five, which is your favorite and why? I said Charlie Brown already. I mean, I'm going to go ahead and say, I, I it's just, it's so subtly religious and mm-hmm. and just, uh, anyway. It's profoundly simple. Yes. And I love, mine too is a Charlie Brown Christmas. I actually have a Charlie Brown Christmas tree that sits on my table every year with the Linus blanket around it. I actually, and I like Charlie Brown Christmas, but I really like the old cartoon, How the Grinch Stole Christmas. Well, it's good. And it, I think it's just because it, it just shows you Christmas is about so much more than just the material sure. possessions. And, and, and the Little Drummer Boy would be my second favorite. if not It and Charlie Brown Christmas is right there together. 
I'm gonna for have obvious, to look. I obvious haven't reasons. ever seen that one. Tabitha so I'm was telling me to... she's never watched the Little Drummer Boy. I, cr- I, I cried that. as a kid the first time I saw. Dad that. used Aww. to. Me and Dad used to watch it. We had it on VHS. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, what nostalgia does watching this show steer in you? And I'm, we're asking the audience too. Yeah. Well, for me, it just brings back all of our Christmases at home. I mean, we watched. Minus the little drummer boy, which I must have slept through. I don't know. Well, it came on late. Yeah. (laughs) Religious content. It was rated. There you go. (laughs) But, you know, I can remember sitting around watching those either in mom and dad's room or in the living room. And it was just part of the Christmas tradition. Sometimes when we watch them, I can smell mom's Christmas decorations. Yeah. Yeah. Of course you can. That's all part of nostalgia. The parched peanuts that we I have to tell you guys, the little drummer boy. I never really cared for that movie a lot because I had nightmares when I was younger. Him and Pinocchio would both give me nightmares. And Wally. I have no idea Wally. what it was about that claymation style. Uh, and, and let me tell you guys something that you probably haven't even considered. And I thought of this when I was writing this. In my era, mm-hmm. you got an opportunity one time a year to see one of these. Yes. Oh, yeah. Think about well, that. I, we had Channel 4, Channel 7, Channel 11 at a Little Rock. If, if we, if our it, antenna it picked done. it up, right, it, it it aired one time on one of the networks. That makes you sound really old. No, Each one, kidding. but it it aired one time. So if you missed it, yeah, that's so hard though. Because you mean, girls even grew up in the VHS. Tracy mentioned the VHS. Yeah. You girls grew up. I taped them for you girls. Yeah. Yes. So you could watch them. Any, but I didn't have that. I mean, you waited, and if you happened to not, and we didn't subscribe to tv guide right you had to see an advertisement or something on television that said friday night at seven central oh, wow. little drummer boy so i made it even more special didn't and it? then then did you get the tv uh-huh. the oh, only yeah. television the only television yeah the only television in the house then did you get to watch it so there were a lot of variables whether i ever got a chance to see every year i don't think i saw them every year oh wow well, steve had told me before that one of his big things was apparently around the end of the school year, the Wizard of Oz would come on TV right around the time all the kids got mm-hmm. out of school. And he said that was the only time of the year it would come on TV. And it would be like the first Saturday of June or whenever uh, he, school I'm sure out. he's right. I, I would, and he said we would all wait every year so that we could watch because that was the only time you'd get to see it. But Kirk and some of you that are my age, Brad, you know, uh, yeah. uh, Earl, some of you that are listening out there that are my age, You'll understand exactly what I'm talking about. See, the, uh, my children, our children live in this digital age where you can just bring it up. I can watch it in July well, anytime yeah, I want yeah. to. Not so. Okay. Not. Well, back to the trivia. Of these five animated classics now, that let's we're name, talking let's about, name them again. How the Grinch Stole Christmas, Little Drummer Boy, Charlie Brown Christmas, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, and Frosty the Snowman. And that's in no particular order. Right. They were all produced by the same studio and all first appeared in the 60s. Which do you think was the oldest or the first one to air? I wrote, well, what did you guys think? I wrote down Frosty. I'm looking. Um, I said The Little Drummer Boy because it was the only one I had never seen. So, so you I, just assume it's the oldest. <laughs> it had to be the oldest. Well, Tracy's going to give us the order in which they appeared. All right. So Very first. Here we go. The oldest is Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. I'd have never guessed that either. Which came out in 1964. The second was Charlie Brown Christmas in 1965. 
followed by How the Grinch Stole Christmas in 1966, The Little Drummer Boy in 1968, and Frosty the Snowman in 1969. <laughs> I literally couldn't have been more wrong. Well, well and I would. That's I what was, I was in that era, you guys. era, and I didn't know. Because well, I thought all, the newest was Charlie Brown Christmas. Yeah, first of all, I didn't know they all appeared in the 60s to begin with. I didn't, I didn't either. All right. Okay. Is it me? Mm-hmm. In all but one of these specials, Santa Claus was part of the theme. Which one did not mention Santa at all? Now, let's go back. Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer? Charlie Brown Christmas? How the Grinch Stole Christmas? Little Drummer Boy? Frosty the Snowman? Which one did not mention Santa at all? I actually knew this one. I assumed it probably had to be the little drummer boy. Yeah. <laughs> You're right. Since, it is the little yeah. drummer boy. And it was, a, it was, so let's, with that question, let me go ahead and do the next one. What enigmatic biblical characters was the theme of the little drummer boy set around? Tracy, do you know, did you know? The three wise men. Yeah. The Magi. The Magi. Now, that didn't dawn on me. I'm nearly 60 years old. That really didn't dawn on me until I Research and then I went back. Oh, it actually was okay. So was the little drummer boy? Uh, he played the drums. He they were taking (laughs) gifts. They were taking gifts to the newborn king, and they picked him up along the way. The magi picked him up along the way. He had no gift. I have no gift to bring. There you go. Okay, all right, I got it. Okay, so let's talk about the Charlie Brown Christmas. What was the underlying message that Charles Schultz was attempting to convey to his audience in this special? In the Charlie Brown Christmas? Mm-hmm. It's not did you about guys, how much did you guys money you get have it? Did you know spend? it by not looking yes. at it? Did yeah. You know? Yeah. Definitely. Okay. Uh, what was it, Tracy? It was the over-commercialization of Christmas and the true meaning of Christmas being the birth of Jesus Christ. And he subtly and so uh, gently... Mm-hmm brought that into the television that it I mean it was just subtle but it, it, it it's what it was about mm-hmm. you know because Charlie Brown sets them all straight remember at the end that's not what the meaning of Christmas is and then was it Linus Linus yeah uh-huh. yeah you guys did a, actually AKA the, Creed yeah Creed <laughs> that's right yeah you guys did a play produced a play that was on, based on it was really beautiful yeah. it, but Linus remember he said and abiding their flocks by night. You remember he he, he quoted from Luke chapter 2. That's right. Okay. Tyson? So before we venture into the Christmas song trivia part of this episode, what more modern Christmas specials have become favorites and traditions? Well, I revealed mine a couple episodes ago. There's one that... Now, let me tell you. It's hard to get in my list. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, it's a tight list. Right. You know, these cartoons... Yeah. They're mm-hmm. all they're all on the list there. I'll watch all of, even though probably Frosty's my least favorite of all of these. But anyway, but that's just who I am. That's just but anyway, um of the list, the Christmas story, you know, mm-hmm. you'll shoot mm-hmm. your eye out. The little boy <laughs> the little boy you'll shoot your eye out. That has made its way. I'd never seen it though until about twenty years ago. Really? And evidently didn't it come out in the eighties? Yeah, I it think was so. in the 80s. Okay. Uh, so, you know, remember the little boy who mm-hmm. shoots your eye uh-huh. out. And the, the other one that has made its way into my regular Christmas list is, uh, and there are probably others. And, of course, I, I still like the old traditionals like 
It's a Wonderful Life. It's a Wonderful yes. Life. Yes. I, but of my top Christmas that I make sure I watch every year, what's the one with Chevy Chase? I, I reveal this. The coming. National Lampoon's. National Lampoon Christmas Vacation, yes. where the underlying theme was something that I've done. He was going to make a special, perfect Christmas for the whole family, and it just went. Everything that went wrong could go wrong. Yeah, or everything yeah. that could go wrong did go wrong in, or whatever. In our <laughs> family, Steve and I always watch Jim Carrey's The Grinch movie. We like that. Now, yeah. I do. I yeah. don't particularly care for Jim Carrey. I don't no. either, but that movie he oh, did it, quite Is well. Spaz a bad word? Uh, no. I don't think so. I, We're going to say no. I, I just, I don't know why. That word just comes up. He just annoys mm-hmm. me terribly yeah but in that role he played he did a really excellent, good job yeah. excellent role in there. we also watch christmas with the cranks every year which is based on a john grisham book called skipping christmas it, but it's good it has um tim allen and what's her name i have never watched uh, jamie lee curtis tabitha t- introduced me to it i watched it the other day mm-hmm. uh yes it's it is very it was kind of funny yeah. and it was entertaining the end, and here we're becoming now, where all of a sudden we're, mute, we're, <laughs> we're movie cre- Uh The end was pretty predictable. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It the was. end was really predictable yeah. because it goes all the way back to Washington Irving. Uh-huh. All uh-huh. the way back. See, all. Anyway, I'm so, well, and Does I'm, anybody know where we are? Well, I'm going to throw <clears throat> in there before we get back to talking about the um, Christmas hymns and carols mm-hmm. that my absolute favorite Christmas movie is still. The Great Rupert, which is a black and white Now, it is. Movie. I didn't mention that. Tracing and I connected there with The Great Rupert, and it wasn't... Oh, cha, 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 what's his name? Jimmy Durante. Jimmy Durante, wasn't he? Yes. Wasn't he the main character in there? And He's uh, the narrator. The narrator, okay. and But he's also the narrator for Frosty? Mm-hmm. Frosty, the snowman... Where was I was when you guys were watching happy, this show? Well, I it's think you were already recent. married. It's been more oh, recent. Okay. But it's it came in a collection of comedies that I can old and it's time black comedies and white that I can't. Christmas movie and it's about the, a Christmas squirrel. The Great Rupert. It is pretty neat. And it's you a can neat probably little... find it on like YouTube or something, but it's a cute little I know we're running long. Tabitha no, you're keeps fine. looking just, at us. I'm just we're, making we're sure that long. it's still recording. Okay. So I'm gonna put dad on number ten. Okay. Thank you, because I was totally lost. Mm-hmm. What single Christmas hymn or carol do you think is the single most popular of all time based on its recordings, its purchases, and its plays? Did you guys know this I already? Guess I guess right. Yeah, Silent anybody Night. should. Silent Night. Yeah, that's the yeah. one. And it was actually, the what, Tracy, you gave us a little history of that. The organ was broken. Yeah. The church a, organ was broken. There was a pastor. The organ was broken, and he really wanted a song for the choir to sing. But he was afraid that because so many of the hymns at that time were very complex and they needed that music to back them. So he sat down. On his guitar. Yeah, on his guitar in the back room. And he wrote out this really simple tune Mm -hmm. that anybody could sing. And they sang it. And could be played on the guitar. Mm -hmm. For any of you musicians musicians out there that have ever tried to play, Chris, it's the nightmare. You can start seeing the pianist in the church really getting anxious along Christmas time because she's about to have to play some of those songs. But yeah, he um, composed this song overnight and took it out and sang it. At their Christmas Eve service, and it was an instant hit, and it just took oh, off. Wow. How I'm neat. There. Okay, so what single secular Christmas song is deemed the most popular of all time? And I did not get this You right. didn't know this one? 
I said, I, for some reason, I was thinking um, I'll be home for Christmas. Maybe it's too. cold outside. Or that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, no, that's a more recent. I'm dreaming of a white yep. Christmas. And it has held the top spot since it was written by Irving Berlin. And recorded and released by Bing Crosby in 1942. And I also didn't realize it was that old. I thought it was released in the 50s. I really didn't realize. Well, and it is interesting to read the history of both of these songs. I mean, all of the Christmas Mm -hmm. carols are. I have some pretty neat histories behind them. So there's a Christ-centered Christmas song that's become increasingly popular in recent years. And it's being played and sung in the church and in secular venues. The name of the song is Mary Did You Know, and it was written by Mark Lowry in 1984. Lowry says he carried the lyrics of the song with him for seven years until 1991 when he asked his good friend Buddy Green to put his poem to music. Not many people know that it was a single statement by Lowry's mother that inspired the poem and, of course, the song. In asking his mother about the virgin birth of Jesus, Lowry's mother made the statement that only one person knew for sure the details of that event, and it was Mary, the mother of Jesus. Lowry said that he began to think of how much he began to think of how much about the event Mary knew and the power and the poem was inspired and written and it is one of my all time it is it a is. good oh my goodness gives me chills yeah, every time it is I, a beautiful yes. and you know of course uh, if you don't know mark lowry's a comedian yeah he's very funny and yeah. he is when people would, uh, wasn't he with the gaither trio for a long time uh-huh. yeah, yeah bill gaither trio when people for, first told me that he wrote that song i'm going are you sure yeah. it was mark lowry <laughs> yeah that yeah, wrote that? yeah you, you must have that wrong Okay, what is your personal favorite carol and secular and secular Christmas song? Just right quick. Secular, secular Jingle Bell Rock. I love that jingle song. Jingle Bell, Jingle Bell, Jingle Bell. And it's a toss-up with the um, Christmas carol with the Christian. It would be Mary, Did You Know, or Oh Beautiful Star of Bethlehem. Okay. Tracy? Okay, so secularly is either Another Old Lang Syne by Dan Fogelberg. That is good, and I had really forgotten that that mm-hmm. existed. Or Silver Bells is oh, one of yeah. my absolute okay. favorites. And for a Christian song, it's O Come Emmanuel, hands down. Oh, yeah, that one's good. I like traditional Christian. Oh, little town of Bethlehem. Oh, I love that yeah. one. That's one of my favorite. That's about my favorite. of that. That's why he always snatched that one up. In the <laughs> yeah. And now, also, when it comes to secular, that one's pretty hard to do. I really like chestnuts roasting on an open yeah, fire, yeah. Jack Frost nipping. I mean, you know, it's just a cool little it love is, type, you know, cozy, right. warm, romantic it's very relaxed. Song. I'm also the one who starts listening to Christmas music on Thanksgiving Day well, because DJ bans it beforehand. I'm going to go ahead and confess our local radio station, KFFB, you guys can send us some money for giving you, there like you we are. have to send you. No, I, I, <laughs> I, I, that I, that I, was always I'm tradition in our house. Thanksgiving Day, they started the 24 hour, hours KFFB of Thanksgiving. KFFB starts, yes. yeah, and does. And, uh, Play. They would do 24 uh, hours now, on Thanksgiving. I didn't get to Day. do my secular. Oh. oh. Okay. A little known song by Jim Croce. Mm-hmm. That he had a Christmas song. I can see Tabby, our Jim Croce resident fan. Yeah, it goes Snowy nights and Christmas lights, tinsel right. yes. afternoons. Yeah. A sidewalk band plays its songs. 
Slightly Out of Tune or something like that. Yeah, and I that forgot was one about of my favorite. That is absolutely one of my favorite secular ones. I would have ones. never thought of that one. And so I did I already did the other one, Chestnuts Roasting by the whatever that one is. Okay, what is your personal favorite carol and secular we just music song? Okay. All right. So we, we decided did that. All right. Already. We already decided already. All right, I jumped back. We certainly hope you've enjoyed this upbeat episode of God Beyond the Bible. In these last few episodes, we have seen how God has inspired people from all walks of life to produce a positive outcome in the way we live life, the way we love, the way we show compassion and generosity, and the way we interact with God himself and our fellow man. And here at God Beyond the Bible, we would like to give thanks for the one single event that has so profoundly shaped the world we live in and our personal lives. And that is the introduction of hope, peace, and love through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So until next time, God's grace, peace, and love be on you and yours from all of us here at God Beyond the Bible. Did you enjoy listening to God Beyond the Bible? Do you have an idea for an episode? Connect with us today. Visit our website at godbeyondthebible.com, all one word, Or send us an email at email at godbeyondthebible.com. Or you can visit us on Facebook. Just type God Beyond the Bible into the search bar.